Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And wow, what what a great opening for a conversation this morning with Kathleen uh, Ridley, who portrays Mary Tyrone <clears throat> Tyrone in Ubuntu Theater Project's Long Day's Journey into Night by Eugene O'Neill, directed by Michael Socrates Moran, and it's been extended, which is really excellent, so you can have an opportunity to see it this weekend and then go back and see it the next weekend because it's extended through November 23rd, November 3rd, sorry, not 23rd. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, when did that happen? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this marvelous production. Oh, man, I, oh, I'd you. heard about Long Day's Journey. Oh, you're welcome. Into Night, but I've never seen it. And, um, yeah, just just the way that, um, you know, you and, and the, uh, the rest of this wonderful cast, um, you know, Victor, uh, Talmadge, uh, as James Tyrone, um, yourself, Kevin um, Rebolton, uh as Edmund Tyrone, and Jose uh, Rodriguez as Jamie Tyrone, and then and then you've got you know the wonderful cellist uh, Alexander Court, who is also it's you know he is also a part of the ensemble just the way that the director just sort of envisioned this work, and I hear that. Um, he even, you know, sort of trimmed it a little bit. Like it could have been longer, like four hours, as opposed to two hours plus a fifteen-minute intermission. I think. Yeah. So mm-hmm. tell us about tell us about the work, and then I'll. Um, and this is your this is your uh, your debut performance with Ubuntu. Like we see you a lot in in some of the other mm-hmm. um, Bay Area companies, and and you are just marvelous in all of those particular roles. You know, when you were. Um, you know, you're the multiple award-winning actress whose favorite roles include uh, Mer- Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet at Queen Mab uh, Productions, um, Every Role in Hamlet and Lena in Brownsville Song, um, B-Side Portray as Shogun Players. That was really a powerful uh, role and a powerful work. Nurse in Medea at African American Shakes, 
another really powerful um, production. Uh, Mrs. Price in Tree at San Francisco Playhouse or SF Playhouse. Again, you killed it. Um, and Asukar <laughs> in Bondage at Alter Theater. Again, like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that I didn't miss these. Because <laughs> I could have missed them because I missed a few really important works this season. So it's like, oh, I didn't miss those. Good. Um, and oh, you are a proud you. member of AEA. <laughs> You're welcome in Theater Bay Area. And you're a company member with Shogun Players Theater First and Playground. And you're an alumna of the Julia, Juilliard School of, of Drama Division and a certified ASL interpreter. And you have an MA from the University of Pennsylvania. So you're like, you're both schooled, you know, in the work, and you're also like, you have actually this practical, experiential expertise in doing the work. Because I think you probably pulled all that together to be able to do Mary Tyrone, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It's just like the you have to pull from every aspect of your life and every aspect of the world that you've experienced and all the things that you know and read the script over and over, all four hours of it, even though we're only doing two hours, maybe two hours, uh, 35, 40 minutes of it, just reading it again and again and just this masterwork by Eugene O'Neill to get an understanding, a full understanding of this character, but not just this character but of this family and of this time period and of addiction and of alcoholism and of struggling to survive when you're in a time period when this was the interesting thing about this one of the interesting things is this was before alcoholism was um, considered a disease and before substance abuse was a disorder this is when it was thought of as a weakness of character and which is a very, very heavy burden on this family and especially on this character of Mary. Hmm. Weakness of character. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It just reads so contemporary. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're, wow, it, wow. It's, it, it's like we're in the middle of the opioid addiction crisis right now, and mm-hmm. people were in the midst of that then. And Mary's issue began with having a hard time with childbirth, having a difficult time mm-hmm. giving birth to her baby, Edmund. And the doctor knew that um, this medication would help her and take away the pain, and then she got addicted to it. And mm-hmm. it's just like now people that are looking for some sort of peace or some sort of relief from the pain they're suffering in everyday life, they go to this opioid um, and they take that and then they feel free and safe and you're just like chasing that dragon all the time, all the time, because it's hard to live without that. When you face what's happening in the world, when you face what's happening in your life, then you're just like, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to live with this anymore. And you go to something that makes your life cushy and, and light and free, but not realizing at the same time, you're risking your life every single time you do that. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and and your character even talks about, um, you know, suicide, but because she is, a, you know, a, a believer, you know, and a, and a good Catholic, she knows that she can't take her life. She can't intentionally overdose. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's something very yeah. important. It's just like in many, so many ways she's beholden to so many people and so many things and so many beliefs, and one of the things that, Mary does say is that um, I haven't taken enough, but I uh, hope that 
someday I'll take an overdose, but I can't do that deliberately because the Blessed Virgin Mary would never forgive me. So that mm-hmm. whole thing of she, her wanting to be free from this addiction and free from this agony that she's going through, she knows that she really can't do that because then she's facing, you know, an, an eternal life without, without God, without something to give her solace and peace. And so in her life, she's struggling. And even in the thought of after this life, if she were to leave this life, she would also suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's really, you know, kind of, it's it's almost like a mystery because in the first act, we don't quite know what's going on. And, and then mm-hmm. in the second act, all of a sudden it's like truth serum got poured everywhere because everyone is drunk or high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody's Wait, telling man. us everything. It's like, what? Well, yeah, We're man. like in a therapy session. We put session. all our business in the street. <laughs> We do. I know. <laughs> we do. We put all our business in the street. Call each other every name you can call everybody. Um, blame mm-hmm. everybody for everything you can blame everybody for. This family is a mess, and we just mm-hmm. put it all out there. And it's just like as the alcoholism takes over, and as the drugs take over, we fight so hard, and we bring up stuff from so many years ago. It's like I'm accusing mm-hmm. poor Edmund, my baby boy, of being responsible mm-hmm. for me being a drug addict. From when he was born, and right. you know James, the father, um, holding Jamie, his son, responsible for being a loafer and not getting a job, and and going and visiting houses of ill repute and being drunk all the time, and not becoming the actor that he had the potential to be, and even in the at the end of the play, when Edmund, the young son, bless his little heart, and James, the father, are arguing. James says to the son, if it wasn't for you, your mother wouldn't be addicted to drugs, which is, mm-hmm. is an unbelievably horrible thing to say to your child. But yeah. we once once we get going, it's like all the all the you know the gloves are off. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you know when um, uh, let's see, uh, Edmund's um, character, Edmund's big brother, mm-hmm. um, I think it's. Is it Jamie? Uh, is the big brother? Jamie. Jamie. Yeah, yeah, he he tells him that he, you know, he's jealous of him, and he's wanted him to see him ruined, um, um, and and everything he said, you know, he wanted the opposite. He, you know, basically sort of hates his guts, and he says, and I and I know I shouldn't be saying this, but hey, this is this is the alcohol speaking. <laughs> so when I'm sober, don't believe anything I'm saying. I'm like, what? <laughs> Like no, you already said it, so we know we are. You already said it, and then him referring to himself as, you know, the creator of Edmund. He's like, I'm, you know, yeah. you're more than my brother. You're my Frankenstein. I made you. Mm-hmm. I taught you everything you knew about prostitutes. I thought taught you everything you knew about alcohol. I taught you everything you knew about the world. But at the same time, I was trying to ruin you and sabotage mm-hmm. you, so you wouldn't be better than I am. Mm-hmm. So there's so much pain in this family, and such such beautiful, just beautiful to be on stage with um, Victor Talmadge, who's playing James, and um, mm-hmm. Kevin Ribbleton, who's playing um, Edmund, and Jose, who's playing um, Jamie. Just this really tight family unit, and then with Alexander Court, who's playing the cello, mm-hmm. just adding yeah. that scoring and adding that music and adding those accents and adding that mood that makes it 
like while scenes are going on, it still seems like this kind of ghost story with uh, with this other world living around and inside and underneath while this scene is going on in the middle of the stage. It's just an incredible experience to be in this together mm-hmm. with all of them. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and so um, we were talking a little bit before we went on about um, the director, Michael Socrates Moran's um, vision um, for the work because mm-hmm. uh, we're in this we're in this big room um, and it's, it's really great um, the way the set is because the audience is right in the set. There are these chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the table with uh, alcoholic beverages on it with glasses, and then we see um, it's a long a long room, and then we see. Um, Toward the end, like when you first walk in, we see a staircase that has a break in it, and then the stairs continue, and uh, and then there are two walls, and um, uh, and then there's a place for the cellist to sit. But we see the um, the different characters sort of utilizing that stairs, that staircase, particularly your mm-hmm. your character who there's there's like something happening on in the upper room. Like the bedroom mm-hmm. where nobody is, like you know, like we mm-hmm. we don't get it initially, and then pe- we we hear your footsteps, and everyone is scared to go upstairs, and so people can't sleep. It's it's really a a a, a real visceral haunting. Like it's a it's a in like it's not in your mind haunting, but it's like an in place mm-hmm. haunting. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I think that what was so fascinating about that is when Michael was talking about this play, it, what, what was really funny is that first I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm off stage in what is considered in this play Act 4. I'll be off stage for like 50 minutes. And then at our first read-through, um, Michael mm-hmm. told the audience, well, we're going to have a cello player here, and all the actors are going to be on stage at the same for the entire play. And all of us were like, What? the entire play and then he said we have a character we have a choreographer for this play and all of us were like what <laughs> a choreographer okay because we mm-hmm. we didn't have an idea well I mean other other people may have had an idea and Michael had that idea but I didn't know but then once we started working with Katie our choreographer it was just very much like there's this story that happens in the center of the stage there's the the scenes that happen there but overlaid on that and under that and in the midst of that is this kind of ghost world that's happening too it's like mary is living her sort of ghostly life going up those steps and the the mention of her walking around upstairs and going to the spare bedroom and not being able to settle down so um, it was decided by Michael and by Katie to have that enacted at the same time, that there's this whole ghostly world happening while the real world is happening at the same time. And so when scenes are going on in the center of this room, there are characters mm-hmm. walking through the center of the room and doing different actions and different movements and different choreography. And um, then that staircase is, such an amazingly useful thing because we go up it, we go down it, we crawl up, we roll down, and it's mm-hmm. just this idea of trying to sort of work our way up into some sort of freedom or some sort of safety or some sort of whatever we're looking for. It's that battle that that staircase symbolizes so many things and can re- represent so many things in this play. And just the idea that there are always more than 
one thing going on in the world and in our lives. And to be able to put that on stage so that there's a scene happening, but then there's something else happening as well. This ghostly world that exists as well is just, for me, was fascinating and beautiful and challenging and interesting and gives so much more to this story of Long Day's Journey and Tonight that is often a very dark, slow trudge through tragedy. And now mm-hmm. there's kind of this lifted this lifted quality to it that there's always an energy, always something going on behind the scenes, around the edges of the stage, through the scene that's happening to keep to everyone aware that there's still life going on in this house somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and also I forgot to mention um, that there's an attic on the other end, like on the opposite end of of the uh, the staircase. Um, we look above, and and there are, there are these um, uh, boxes that are covered in 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 white cloth. You know, similar to how people put things in their attics. And yeah, um, yeah and and definitely there is <laughs> that's that's a, that's a metaphor too. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. think about the things that. Um, that are out of reach for for this family. You think about the memories that um, they unpack, um, and and your character talks about her wedding dress in um, you know in I think in Act One, <laughs> and uh, and then it becomes a thing, um, mm-hmm. and then and then we see all the light bulbs, um, and we, I wonder why are they there, and then we find out, <laughs> mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um and then there's a foghorn that is 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 also a metaphor like you know because obviously you know these people this family is almost like you know um there's a, there's visibility issues they can't see each other they can't mm-hmm. see themselves you know um yeah they almost need the horn for guidance you know as they try mm-hmm. to interact with one another and at the same and at the same time it's torture for mary because there's stuff mm-hmm. she doesn't want to see. It's like repeatedly she yes. says, um, you know, oh my gosh, that awful foghorn, that awful foghorn. And yeah, it, it, and it, sets, it comes up in this play repeatedly. These people are in the dark and in the shadows and in the fog and fighting their way through this all the time. And then mm-hmm. Edmund, um, who has this beautiful monologue in Act 4 about being at sea, and becoming a mm-hmm. part of the fog, and the fog yes. becoming a part of him, and so he kind of lost himself. So for him, because it's such a poetic soul, it's such a beautiful thing for him to get lost in, and kind of his saving grace in that period of his life. Mhm. Yeah, that is really beautiful. Yeah, I just think his um, uh, that that particular um. All of all of his lines is they're so poetic, and his his <laughs> his father even mm-hmm. tells him, you know, how 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 morbid and also how poetic, you know. He yes, is. but there's a poet in here. He's morbid, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and and then they drink to that. <laughs> there's so much. Mm-hmm. There's so many libations. My goodness, in that second oh. second scene. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So. Gosh, um, how how it just have you ever have you ever played a role quite like um, Mary Tyrone before? And um, yeah, sort of. 
how how do you sustain because um, now you've been extended <laughs> how how do you sustain such such a character and and such a movement because you know she has her own life but then she's a part of a family and she's been married for a while and you can see you know these little intimate moments you know the hugs and the kisses and the way that her husband holds her face um you know and and that that there's love, even though sometimes she gets stuck in his transgressions, and she mm-hmm. she sort of leaps he heaps those on him, and you know he kind of like lets it go. But then we learn um, about his backstory because I I had kind of felt that that you know Mary's husband um, had had some kind of trauma as a child around mm-hmm. um, you know I didn't I, around poverty because he is such. Um, she a miser, according to Mary, mm-hmm. uh, particularly mm-hmm. you know when it comes to spending on the family. He wants to accumulate, you know, houses and land and stuff, but doesn't mm-hmm. want to spend. And so we learn what happened there. Um, but but Mary has a very interesting story. But it's love that brought them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the um, the things that was so wonderful um, about Michael, our director is that uh-huh. because this play is such a heavy lift in so many ways, because mm-hmm. it's so heavy, it's so sad, it's so depressing, everybody is living in the depths of their pain, he to- mm-hmm. told us, I want you to fight for the love in this family. Mm-hmm. I want, oh, nice. e- even when you fight with each other, you're fighting for mm-hmm. the love. It's like the beginning of the play. He said, I don't mm-hmm. want to start out with Mary um, high on drugs And I don't want to start out with everybody mad at each other I want to start mm-hmm. out with Mary's trying really hard We've just had breakfast It was good We got through it without anybody fighting We're going to tease you about your snoring We're going to tease you about this We're going to hear this story about the pigs um, Breaking out of the fence And going into the millionaire's mm-hmm. pond And just the attempt to Connect uh, The attempt to love each other And the fact that Mary and James truly do, in their heart of hearts, love each other very, very deeply. But they've just been caught in their own pain so much that when Mary is um, in her state of um, drug-addledness and when James is thinking about the things that he wasn't able to accomplish and couldn't do, his anger and his bitterness come out, that it's just kind of like we can't help but lash out at each other. But the core of us is still that we love each other. I mean, Jamie was my first baby. I love him. Edmund was my last baby. I love him. But then there's pain attached to both of them. Jamie's the child who was responsible for giving the measles to the baby Eugene, who dies Mm -hmm. um, before this play starts. And Edmund is the child who is responsible for after his birth. I was so sick and in such pain that a doctor gave me morphine and I I got addicted to morphine. And James has been a drinker and a miser and never giving me the home that I really wanted. And so there's just so much pain attached to it so that when we're all caught in that cycle and in that loop, we lash out so hard at each other. And for me as Mary, um, like digging into that character and reaching in, it's, I, I, I posted on Facebook partway through our rehearsal period, what do y'all do if you have nightmares? Because for the first couple weeks of rehearsal, I had regular Mm -hmm. nightmares about all kinds of crazy things. And I was thinking, I need a way to leave Mary at the theater when I come home (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I can rest 
because there's just so much going on in her head all the time, all day, every day, and so much that she's trying to fight that she doesn't really get a time to sit down, relax, and take a breath. So as an Mm -hmm. actor for myself, I would read the play. So much of it is in the words that she says. Her story is so clearly in the words that connecting to the words helped me so much to understand this character and just sort of to let myself free to say these words with great conviction and commitment. If I'm saying words of great love to say them, if I'm saying words of great rage and bitterness, just go for it. Just don't hold back any of that. Um, it's, it's liberating and painful and torturous and beautiful all at the same time. And mm-hmm. in terms of whether or not I've played a role like this before, um, back yeah. when I was at SF Playhouse, um, I played um, Mrs. Price in Tree. And the, the similarity yeah. between these two is that Mrs. Price was um, experiencing dementia. So in any given moment, she could be going back to when she was 18 years old and she just fell in love and had gotten pregnant by her boyfriend and had this baby and was in this interracial relationship and was remembering what that life was like. And then all of a sudden she's back to her 80 year old self and fighting the fears and not knowing where she is and not knowing what's happening and that type of thing. So in a lot of ways that prepared me for focusing on how to live in those moments of I'm here and then I'm there and then I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing that. And just to go with it in the moment and to not try to, make myself feel something or make myself do something just to find those words. Once they come out, they take me. And then that's where Mary comes out. I don't know if that was clear at all, but because <laughs> sometimes actors yeah. talk and our process is really difficult to explain. But for me, it mm-hmm. was an organic process. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, when you, when you let – you know these spirits um live within you um you know that's that's a surrender of of mm-hmm. a certain amount of your will and then mm-hmm. and then you have to come back in your body cuz it belongs to yep. you you know not this mm-hmm. character but characters mm-hmm. have life <laughs> mm-hmm. and they could like say who I, I kind of like living in you know Kathleen's body like mm-hmm. ooh it's <laughs> nice in here like go away <laughs> <laughs> you can't come I literally back. at the end at the end of the play I literally walk into uh, onto the stage walk through the room and say hello Mary I'm going to leave you here tonight you'll be here when I come back rest easy mm-hmm. I'll see you tomorrow or I'll see you the next time I do a show I say those words mm-hmm. and I say I'm going to let you rest you'll be here because I need to leave you here in order to be whole and then come back and be able to take mm-hmm. you in my heart again Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she's a lot. Mm-hmm. She's a lot to carry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, the uh, the playwright and and this period you mentioned earlier. You know that um, substance abuse, alcoholism didn't even exist as an addiction, um, and um, and substance abuse was seen as a weakness of character. And we, we know, um, you know, because there's a lot of research and, and writing on it that women were over-medicated and, um, and given, you know, you know um, these, these morphine and other types of opiates um, uh, because, you know, for basically a woman's role was to have children and, um, and 
and and that was about the extent of, of her value, you know, in a family. Mm-hmm. And so we had all these high, you know, women. You know, you think about, um, you know, the uh, the yellow wallpaper. You know that that his that that story. You know about the mm-hmm. the the artist. You know who went mad because her husband, a physician, you know, knew what was best for her, and she just wanted to go outside in the garden and get back to her painting and. Um, was that Charlotte Perkins story? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then we have, you know, your your character, um, you know, Mary, she had she had a life before marriage, um, that she gave up, you know, for love. Mm-hmm. But she remembers mm-hmm. her life. She remembers her friends. She remembers the fun that she had, you know, at the convent because uh, yeah, because that was um you know, that was where, you know, she came into herself as a young person before she met this 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 you know famous actor you know her dad introduced mm-hmm. her to and she's like oh my god he is so handsome <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah your your memories of your character's memories of of her husband before he was her husband and how she fell in love and then being on the road with an actor you know all of a sudden it wasn't as that glamorous anymore right right and it's one of those things that I think that what I find interesting, one of the things I find interesting about this story is the fact mm-hmm. that Mary was beholden to somebody her entire life. It's like she was very, very mm. attached to her father and, yeah. you know, loved her father so much. He died of consumption, which is what her child Edmund has, which is what we call PB now. Um, mm-hmm. She was going, she went to the convent. She was committed to being a nun. She went to mm-hmm. the shrine at Lourdes and believed that she had a true vision from the Blessed Virgin Mary that she was to be a nun. So that was her connection. Then she went and saw James Tyrone in this play. And then, oh my gosh, she forgot everything about that. She had taken piano lessons and thought maybe she would be a concert pianist. So that was going mm-hmm. to be her life. But then once she married James Tyrone, whatever he wanted, that was what happened. Women in that mm-hmm. period, I mean, play was written in the 30s, 40s, but it was written about um, the year around the 1912, 1913, that era. So okay. in that time period, you did what your husband said. He said, come on, come on the road with me. I miss you. I love you. Come with me. And whether or not mm-hmm. she had another feeling about, I want to stay home with my baby, my husband called me and told me to come with him on tour. And then mm-hmm. she finds these people are not her people. Their life is not mm-hmm. her life. And she's there with another little baby on the road, having children in hotel rooms, um, having lost a child because she wasn't able to stay home with him. And Mm -hmm. then looking back on her life and saying, I wish I had been a nun, which is why when she goes into that madness cycle, she goes back Mm -hmm. to what she wished she could have been. But Mm -hmm. women didn't have the agency then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're sick and you're in pain. We'll give you drugs. We'll give you a ton of drugs. You'll be okay. And then once you're addicted to these drugs, it's your fault that you're addicted to these drugs. There wasn't ever, it wasn't that time period where we say somebody has a substance abuse disorder. It's like even when James says to her, you know, why couldn't, you know, I know you're sorry about this, but why couldn't you keep on? As if she did something wrong by getting herself addicted and as if she's doing something wrong by being addicted. And Mm The the drinking of the alcohol is, you know, they're like, here, take a bracer, son. Take a drink. You're coughing really hard. Here, take mm-hmm. this drink. Um, oh, my goodness. Like so much alcohol in this play and so mm-hmm. much 
um, so many drugs are, you know, not so many drugs, just this one morphine that um, Mary's attached to, but just the idea of that's how we solved the problems then, and it became a weakness of character if we had a problem with it and not mm-hmm. an addiction and not a, an illness and not something that we need to work on getting healed from, but you were weak and you didn't take care of it. Mhm. Right, right, yeah. And and you know, and your characters and I we're running over a little bit, um, um, so I'll be I'll finish it up really quickly. But it's just your um you know, your character's reference to her hands and her hair and and I just think from what you just said, um, you know, hands also as a symbol, you know, like to be able to carve, to be able to sculpt, to be able to play her life. You know, the yes, way she would like to play it. Yes, yeah, to be able yeah. to create. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, because she's always she's like almost like wringing her hands, you know, because mm-hmm. because the instruments. She's like, gosh, I haven't played piano and I can't remember how many years. But then she recites how long she's been married, you know, to her husband, and mm-hmm. wow. And then she counts her blessings in her children, the ones that are living, the ones that have passed. And she, I guess, she she has three sons. Um, you know, Eugene dies. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just it's so tragic. <laughs> you all do really well. Oh, <laughs> but the writing is just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is, Eugene O'Neill, a master, a master of beautiful, beautiful piece of work to be in. And I'm honored to be in this show. I'm honored to be in this production. I'm now a, a forever fan and lover of Ubuntu Theater Company and Michael Socrates mm-hmm. Moran and of my cast members Victor Talmadge and Jose. Um, Rodriguez and Kevin Ribbleton, I I love them. And Alex Court as our cello mm-hmm. player who just provides so much energy and ambience and accompaniment and underscoring to this play. I'm I'm just in love with this project and so I so appreciate you having me on your show today in order to be able to talk about this. Yeah, well thank you so much. Yeah, 'cause I when I saw you on um, it's just like wow you know that you could you you know you hold so much you know um with this particular character and then and then we have the family cuz like you're all mm. holding each other mm yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fighting really, for that really love amazing. even through all of this agony and pain fighting for that love mm-hmm. yeah. right right and and it's important you know love is important and mm-hmm. hopefully um mm-hmm. you know um because it doesn't end. Well, I mean, the the, the story just kind of like it doesn't end. <laughs> it's just like it's over, right. but it right. doesn't end. So it's like, right. okay, what's gonna happen next? So you can imagine, right? They're gonna get it yeah. together. Um, they're gonna. <laughs> she's gonna get some help. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Edmund's gonna go to a good sanitarium, you know, <laughs> where he can get yeah. cured. <laughs> yes, yes. So be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yes, people, be hopeful. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely be hopeful because you create the ending <laughs> that you mm-hmm. desire. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do do you know what you're doing next so people can look for you um, you know, after the second? I do not know what I'm doing next. It's the life of an actor and especially the life of an actor in my age demographic. <laughs> but um I don't know what I'm doing next, but whatever it is, it's going to be exciting and wonderful and adventurous. And I'm going to love it. <laughs> oh, certainly, certainly. Are you still at San Quentin too? Um, we still go in, yeah. The um the programs there where um No More Tears and Healing Circle where they actually mm-hmm. wrote a play and did it and also they're working um themselves the beautiful thing about the um the men there is that they're working on their own healing and working mm-hmm. on 
finding themselves and finding a way to reconcile with um, victims and with themselves in their own lives and their own core pain to find out who they are through that. So the programs at San Quentin are just beautiful and amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just remember that you know that you you mm-hmm. volunteered there. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. wondering if you were still able to continue that with, you know, with Mary Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> Who I'm carrying with me on my shoulders all day, every day. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, again, congratulations. This is a marvelous production. You all are just such a wonderful ensemble. Um, you know, great, great work. Long days. Journey into night extended through November second. So two more weekends. Really exciting. Really, really exciting. And um, you know, just sort of uh, a tribute to the wonderful work that that you all are doing. You know, at Ubuntu. Thank you. All right. You take good care. Thanks again. Look forward to talking to you again. You too. Thank you so much for having me on your program. I really appreciate it. Oh, Thanks you're so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. <laughs> Peace and blessings. Mhm. So for tickets, you can visit UbuntuTheaterProject.com, U-B-U-N-T-U-T-H-E-A-T-E-R, project.com. And, uh, yeah, um, don't want to miss it. It's a really, really marvelous, marvelous production. So we are going to continue with um, a, a conversation with Anna um, Mualongo, um, she uh, is going to be um, uh, giving a, a different kind of talk uh, at the uh, as a part of the uh, Elihu Harris and Barbara Lee uh, lecture series, uh, which benefits the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Center here in Oakland. And it's going to be tomorrow, Thursday, October 24th, 7 p.m. at the James Moore Theater, uh, 1000 Oak Street in Oakland. And uh, Donald Lacey is going to introduce the evening. And admission is free, um, but you need to call an RSVP. So uh, to do that, you call Erico 510 434 3988. On Monday, uh, and I, uh, she she lives in Washington D.C., so she's traveling out here. And the show is called "Never Thought I Was Black Till I Came to America." And through comedy, storytelling, music, and truth, uh, Miss uh, Mrs. Um, Mualongo uh, Lago um, looks at race and race relations in the United States through immigrant immigrant experience. And and she is. She is just hilarious, um, and she sings, she recites poetry. She's just simply wonderful. So you should um, definitely check out her website, Anna, and her last name is spelled M-W-A-L-A-G-H-O, uh, to just sort of, if you want to, like, do a preview. And then Donald Lacey, who is, we know for a few things, a color struck, is wonderful one-man um, sort of tour through African-American history, and uh sort of looking at you know his you know his how he sort of sits within um the context of his family insofar as his skin color and and also you know he is uh founder of the love life foundation um uh named after his daughter uh Loisha Lacey, who uh who died um really unfortunately too soon 
And, um, yeah. And since then, um, Donald has lost um, other members of his family to uh, to gun violence. So he is going to open with the evening. So it's going to be really fun tomorrow, so you don't want to miss that. So, again, you can call Erico 510-434-3988. And um, in Ubuntu Theater, what's really wonderful about Ubuntu is that um, uh, no one is turned away from the door um, for lack of funds. So, um, so yeah, um, definitely um, don't want to miss this production of Long Day's Journey in Tonight. It is, oh man, it is simply marvelous. It is it's such good, good theater, but then Ubuntu is known for, you know, telling stories that really matter, and uh, and and the seasons are thematic, um, and so the thinking around sort of what is in in the in the season is something that um, really makes Ubuntu Theater Company something really unique, and um, and the uh, the artistic director um, um, Michael Socrates Moran says. Um, as part of our season exploring how to be moral individuals in immoral systems, I can think of no better play to explore the notion of how the family system can both make and break us often simultaneously. Um, in this play, Mary, uh, the character um, that Kathleen plays, is the past is present and is the future too. This, of course, is also true for us personally and collectively as we see our past playing itself out today, often to our horror. For Eugene O'Neill, this play was an exorcism of the demons of his past. Now we bring this haunted Tyrone family back so we might once again see the hurts within our own families, our own past, and our own loss in order to exorcise them. Indeed, the opioid epidemic playing out in America today lays bare the excruciating relevance uh, that O'Neill's play, set in 1912, still has for us today. As with all of us, each character in this play is faced with a dark night of the soul, and each is trying to cope, attempting to grasp a morsel of salvation from one another. What is astonishing about this play is not the sorrow but the boundless love that is present in the fight to keep the family together, a heroic love that always seems to promise deliverance and yet continues to entrap as it perpetuates greater and greater wounds. And addiction in a household is a wound that never heals. It hurts the ones it loves most. It perpetuates a larger familiar wound that feeds upon itself. So the cycle continues, starving, reaching, seeking, stifled, knotted, desperately attempting to express love only to wound one another until the greatest act of love is to remove oneself. Quote, greater love hath no man than this, that he saveth his brother from himself, end quote. In our classics, we see a genesis of where we are today, and our playwrights offer themselves as prophets. In O'Neill's magnum opus, he reveals a poisonous seed in the American experience that plants itself firmly in the institution that provides our greatest hope, the American family. And yet O'Neill proposes that perhaps what is most redeemable about confronting our own night is embracing the beauty of the night itself. The play itself is O'Neill's attempt to alchemize this pain, to excavate light from darkness, beauty from morbidity, life from death. As night descends upon the family, the misery 
The miserly patriarch of the play has a moment of dashing his tight-fistedness for the sake of light, for the sake of beauty, for the sake of life. Quote, let it burn, we'll have them all on, let them burn. The poorhouse is the end of the road, and it might as well be sooner than as later, end quote. In a production we have set as a memory scape, this cast and creative team has been a dream to work with, offering nothing less than their complete selves to this extraordinary work and honoring the exquisite beauty the play demands. So that's Socrates, Michael Socrates Moran in the program. Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, um, the play is even more beautiful. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, I'm going to play this wonderful interview uh, with our guest, um, who will be uh, in town tomorrow, Anna um, Malagos, um, um, who is going to be bringing her one-woman show, Never Thought I Was Black Till I Came to America, at the James Moore Theater, 7 p.m., 1000 Oak Street at the Oakland Museum of California. And again, it's free. You just got to call the Freedom Center, 510-434-3988. Oh, and while I'm making announcements, I want to let folks know that if you miss the funeral for um, um, uh, for Ia um, uh, Nancisi Caillou last week, there's going to be an artist um, celebration of her life at the Golden Gate Recreation Center this Sunday, I think from 2 until 6. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's going to be really, really wonderful. Um, let me see if I can find the details on that. Um, just a second. Oh, actually, I think I think it wasn't in the email. Um, but while I look for that, the African Queens Dance Company is having its annual fundraiser, um, and it's going to be at 601 Walla Vista Avenue at Lakeshore on Saturday, October 26, 12 to 6. Uh, you can um, pick up some food, stay and eat, or um, you can order to go. And to get um, a dinner, there's going to be uh, chicken, spaghetti, with lots of wonderful um, choices, side choices of African dish, uh, red beans and rice, green bean salad, um, chicken fried or baked, um, gravy and roll, um, spaghetti with sauce, roll and salad, sweet potato pie, soft drink, um, and uh, you can call to get um, to, to order or ask questions at 510-764-3262, 510-764-3262. And uh, this is Leslie Carter's um, uh, ensemble, and she has been teaching uh, the African queens. Oh my goodness! And they've been they've traveled to um, out of the country, and who knows? I don't know exactly how old the company is, but they've been around a long time. Um, Leslie Carter, um, it's Leslie Carter. She uh, is teaching the children of the children that she taught initially um, in this wonderful dance company. And uh, she teaches classes at the uh, the Firmary, uh Park and and elsewhere. I think she's also in some of the schools. So um, so anyway, support support this uh, fundraiser annual fundraiser five one zero seven six four three two six two to to order uh, a meal or ask questions. Again, 
Um, it's going to be 601 Walla Vista Avenue in, at Lakeshore in Oakland. Walla Vista is W-A-L-A-V-I-S-T-A, Walla Vista. And uh, I'll make this announcement at our next show. <laughs> um, and maybe I'll get Leslie on to talk about the African Queens because I forgot to ask her for today. So anyway, so those are the announcements. And, uh, yeah, enjoy this wonderful conversation with uh, with Anna. It's uh, really great. And I uh, hope to see you tomorrow at the uh, James Moore Theater at 7 p.m. I think the doors open at 6 and if you make your reservation, you need to be there, I think, by 6.30. Otherwise, your reservation is given away. So um, so anyway, don't miss this. It's going to be really, really fantastic. And it's really great, you know, this wonderful lecture series, um, the Elihu Harris uh, Barbara Lee lecture series um, that is always free and uh, it's always really enlightening to see, you know, people that uphold freedom and justice um, you know, um, both the, uh, you know, elders, you know, who participated in the um, um, in the civil rights movement as well as, as others. So here is Anna. Right, yeah. I hadn't realized that you, um, while you perform in so many genres, I mean, you are – you know, you're an actress and you're a singer and you have a, you know, a, you know, an ensemble, you know, and you also, you're a poet and you're an activist and you have a nonprofit organization that, you know, supports, um, you know, children's education in, um, um, in the, uh, I, I don't know the name of the, uh, let's see, in the, um, Haruma slums, um, yeah, it's in Kenya. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Because that's that's one of the largest um, uh, slums in the world, right? It's one of yeah, one of it because it's uh, it's the called Magare. The main, the biggest one in Kenya is Kibera. Oh, that's so the one I've heard about Kibera. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. And then I was noticing in your bio. You know that you um you knew Tuku um you know Oliver Mutukuzi and you performed you opened for Humasa Kayla's like oh my gosh I say I say you know um to their to their memories that's really awesome yeah I opened for both Tuku and and uh and uh, Humasa Kayla mm-hmm. me and Tuku we did something on stage together we performed together it was really awesome yeah. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And and Forrest Whitaker and 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 then, you know, you were able to um uh you knew um Dr. Uh, Wangari uh, Mathai. That's really yeah, awesome. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, so it was it's awesome, you know, sometimes I forget the number of things I have done because you know as human beings we are so competitive, you are looking for the next thing, next thing. Right. Yeah, but I really, um, you know, when I read the title of the work, you know, your current show, never thought I was black till I came to America. I'm like, wow. Tell us about that one. Okay. So the the how I ended up? Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Thank you. Mhm. And you are you are recording now, right? Or is it? Yes. Yeah, recording. Mhm. Okay. 
So for me, uh, I've been a performing artist and I've been a poet, singer, uh, songwriter, storyteller, actress, and comedian is my new hat, like the oh. best one I guess okay. I have. Mm-hmm. So um, my one boomer show, Never Thought I Was Black Till I Came to America, was basically um, uh, a, a love of, how can you say, um, it, was, it, was a, it was like a, a, it's a play which came together because of all things that I have been doing uh, in terms of my performances as a comedian, as a poet, as a storyteller. And so I was, I was, I'm trying to tell my story to Americans and also people who are not from America, but diasporans or immigrants or all over the world about my experience as an immigrant in America and how we can bridge the gap of our cultural differences. Mm-hmm. So I thought to call it the best, never thought I was black, till I came to America because it's true. I never thought I was black till I came to America because back in my country, Kenya, which is in Africa, we all look at ourselves as Africans and then we talk about our tribes, mm-hmm. but nobody or ethnic groups, but nobody says you're black, you know? And mm-hmm. so when you get here is when now you start realizing that you are not looked at, looked at as African unless you speak, but immediately somebody sees you, you're black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the title of it, but the gist of it all is because I wanted to sh- share my experience about uh, my uh, challenges as an immigrant, okay, and try to make people understand our cultural differences. Why in the beginning I was so in love with Papa Chicken, <laughs> or oh, why, why people talk about, you know, you have an accent as if they don't have an accent, you know, right. and how sometimes as immigrants, we get ourselves so, um, so, so we feel so intimidated, so small because people who don't know or haven't traveled to other parts of the world, they just know who they are as Americans. When they see another person from another part of the world, they just look at them as if they are less than, you know, or because of the fact that they have an accent or they seem different while our differences should be our strength because we should be able to learn from each other as we do here in America, which we call it the melting point or melting pot, whereby we all come together no matter what part of the country or what part of the continent you're from or what part of our culture you're from. It's a big place where we just come to share who we are and grow and, and you know, and enjoy the opportunities that are given to us. So it's just a form of also uh, making people laugh with the comedy uh, and at the same time educating them. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how did um, how did Barbara Lee and um, and Elihu Harris, you know, engage you to come here to Oakland this week um, to share mm-hmm. your latest uh, work with us? That's so people are so excited that you're coming. Yes, yes, yes I am excited to uh, never been to Oakland. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and 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 um, I mean, and it's just such an honor to work with Dr. Roy Wilson, mm-hmm. and uh, to, and and for him to uh, get, uh be able to get me to where I am in terms of bringing the show there, and also the mayor of Oakland, uh, former former mayor of Oakland, Elu mm-hmm. Harris, who is also part of my family, and okay. so it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, people who have. Um, have come together to assist me to bring this show to Oakland. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I say, the relationship between 
Elihu Harris, uh, Dr. Wilson, and most of all them seeing about my show because I have some clips on YouTube. I have performed at the Black Box Theater in Silver Spring, and I have done like three sold-out shows here in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and they know what it is about. And so because of that, they felt like it's something that can, is needed in Oakland or people need to celebrate who they are by sharing my work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. tell tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up in um, in East Africa and Kenya, um, where at um, and, you know, sort of have you always um, thought about being a performance artist and, and how did you end up in Washington? So actually, I, um, I was born and raised in Kenya. And uh, when I came to America, I was uh, 20, 22. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was 22 and I got here, but um, my 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 childhood in Kenya and I, I was born in Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya, was was wonderful. I also lived a little bit in Mombasa, which is the coastal area of Kenya. So I had a wonderful childhood, and I believe it's my parents' uh, support that has made made me become who I am in terms of my career as an artist. Because I kind of like real wanted knew what I was going to be by eight because. By age of eight, I was singing for my school, and then I was I am I was one of those uh, tom tomboys, if you may call it. Mm-hmm. So I would wake up in the morning, the weekend, and start singing for the neighborhood. You know, doing stuff that actually my son, that's four years old, is doing now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I see him, I see myself when I was a child, but um, I I just had a full uh, full uh, childhood whereby. I was encouraged to continue singing, to dance, to make people laugh as a young child. And so my parents never said that don't do that. You know, they always said as long as your uh, your grades are good, I mean, you can go and join the choir. It's okay if that's what you want to do. And so that's how I ended up being a performing artist because I, I discovered my talent, even though I didn't know it was a, a career at that time, but I discovered what I love to do at a very young age. And then when I was in uh, elementary school, which we, in Kenya we say primary school, I joined like the musical group uh, for the school and we traveled from one city to another. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in uh, high school, I joined the drama club that was uh, the, the main, I became the main, uh, first I became the chair of our drama club. Then after that, I won the best actress for our district, which is like a county. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, I, I finished and before I went to college, I was at the I was performing now as a full time actress, uh, a professional at the theater in the in I mean in Kenya it's called the National Theater. So I honed my mm-hmm. skills very early on. And mm-hmm. so when I came to America, even though it was such a big place, and I came in straight, I went to the um, uh, what you call it, UCLA. That's where I went straight because oh. I had come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came for an international media workshop. That was being held at UCLA because in college I was the best actress in all the uh, colleges of in the U in, in Kenya. So they had like a big award thing that was called International uh, University Arts Achievement Awards. Mm-hmm. So we had different kind of universities come together and everybody showcased their work. And so I was the best actress, and then and I won that award for all the universities in Kenya. And they were like, okay, people who win will have a chance of coming to. Uh, the U.S. to go and participate at the uh, media workshops, which were held at UCLA, and mm-hmm. and 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 then we were able to go to like um, 
Hollywood and see what they do, the Wheel of Fortune and stuff like that. So uh-huh. we'll show some studios. So from that on, I just realized that I, I I think this is what I want to do. And even though in a, when I now settled in America, it was tough in the beginning because as I said, as I said, once they hear your accent, they're like, okay, they just you know they either typecast you or they just you know they just don't give you a, a, an opportunity. So I had to create my own opportunities, and that's why I started doing my spoken word. Mm-hmm. And my spoken word was all about education, about our culture as African people, our way of life, and how we can work together. So if you see my my poems on uh, YouTube, right. that was my main aim, was to highlight Africa in a positive way. So people who didn't know much about Africa started gravitating towards me, calling me to perform at their events, at their um um, their birthdays or their, whatever they had, or whatever festivities, festivals. So from then on, I became a, a, a poet, spoken word artist. And at that time in D.C., uh, at U Street, that was really, it was really going strong. Open mics and whatever was strong. And we really had a good time and I made a lot of friends. Uh, so from then I moved into doing my music. I joined a band. I started my own band. Because it's like Tyler Perry says, when there's no room for you at the table, you create your own table. Uh-huh, <laughs> right. Yeah, so I created my own table because my band, we do Afrobeat music. My spoken word was about Africa. Even now, my one woman show highlights my story as an immigrant or as an African immigrant in America. So everything kind of come full circle, and I feel it is really coming full circle because where I got is where I'm going in California. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, it's almost like coming full circle because you came to South California, Southern California, now you're coming to Northern California, you know, when you won that award, you know, in high school. So yes. it's kind of like, yes. that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I won it in that. I won the, sorry, I won the, the, the award in, in college, actually. I was at the Catholic University of Eastern Africa. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. So what's um what's your what was your what did you end up what kind of degree in in performance art or in in what? So which is weird because back back in my country at that time we didn't really have like degrees they did not uh, like offer like uh degrees in the uh, performing arts mm-hmm. I don't uh, there was no university in Nairobi or Mombasa or Eldoret that offered anything like that. So I ended up actually studying economics and social in social sciences, so oh, okay. economics and sociology. But mm-hmm. uh, when I came here, I did some acting classes at the Studio Theater, mm-hmm. took some classes at Howard uh, Howard University. So I just took classes here and there that were being offered for people who are not uh, students. But uh, I was able to benefit a lot from all those uh, whatever the all the classes that I attended. Right. Yeah. But that's pretty good, though, because the economics, um, you know, they'll probably help you as a businesswoman. And, yeah. and and then also, you know, this whole, our system, you know, is, a, is capitalism. And I don't know what the yeah. system is in, in Kenya, but it might not be mm-hmm. the same. And then the sociology, that probably comes mm-hmm. out in your in your uh, writing, you know, because you're thinking yeah. about the different social groups, right? And now you're, yeah. you know, in the United States, because mm-hmm. one of your, one of your pieces looks at, <laughs> which I thought was really funny, um, you know, African um, men and African-American men and African women. Yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. And that's a, yeah. I mean, everything, everything has been of help in terms of my economics, my sociology, mm-hmm. and my acting skills. And yeah, that's one of the, if you want me to talk about that, <laughs> about the African men and the African women and the African uh, men complaining that the, uh, the, the black man is taking all the African women, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just an observation. It's just an observation. It's a funny word, but it does happen. My husband is African American. <laughs> oh, oh no, he got a he got an African woman. Oh my goodness! <laughs> he, he did take an African uh, an African woman, and so the African men are complaining. Like, look, this our sister. But you know, what do they expect? Eh? You know, <laughs> so I don't want to say that on the on radio because I don't know who listens to the radio. <laughs> It is both the young and the old, but I just make fun about, you know, intimacy that, you know, African-American men are better in bed than African men. But that that is really, <laughs> that is really, uh, it's just relative. It all depends with the person, but that's part of the joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was wondering, um, um, you know, since you've been here, how, how long have you been here, um, you know, in America, like this has been your primary residence. Oh yeah, I've been here. Oh man, uh, I've been here. I came in. Uh, I've been here now. For, I came in 2000, so almost uh, 19 years, almost 18 to going 19 years. Oh, now. long time. Okay. Yeah. 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 Long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And and so, do you go back and forth, um, like you and your husband and your baby? Do you all go back and forth yes. and does the family come here? Yes, we go back and forth or we visit family because my siblings are there. My mom is usually here and there. Mm-hmm. And uh, also we have, I'll have a lot of extended family back home in Kenya. And then with my nonprofit, when I go to, uh, here, my nonprofit that we formed here, Upendo Educational Foundation, when we go back, we try to support the Upendo Rehabil- uh, Rehabilitation Center School there. Mm-hmm. And so we, we usually go back and forth, and um, I also do, like, a summer camp, and hopefully one day I can be able to, once the summer camp is a Swahili summer camp, we call it Swahili oh. uh, Immersion, and uh, let me let me look for Swahili Immersion and Cultural Education uh, Summer Camp. Uh-huh. So we do everything Swahili from language to games to music to food, and so it's just a new uh, uh, idea or a new program that I've added to my nonprofit mm-hmm. so that I can also share with the young people here in the U.S. about the language of Swahili, which I already do teach in two, in two schools in D.C. I teach Swahili. Mm-hmm. But to do a summer camp that even uh, children who cannot afford to go to these schools or less fortunate families or people who just want to learn the language can come for a summer camp program of two weeks and learn more about the culture, the Swahili culture and also the Swahili language. Oh, that's really great, yeah, because Swahili is mm-hmm. an international language. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. oh, that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, because um, someone just mentioned to me that, um, you know, there are children or there, there are young people that, you know, that are in, you know, countries like, uh, you know, Tanzania, Zanzibar, Kenya, and other countries, mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, what is it, Uganda, Cameroon, uh, a lot uh-huh. of the countries have Swahili as, as their, you know, one of the national languages, but they don't speak the language. Um, but other people yeah. that are not African, mm-hmm. 
that mm-hmm. live there now speak the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, as I mentioned, Cameroon doesn't speak Swahili. No, okay. the main yeah, but I can tell you the main languages because Swahili is actually the number one African language. Okay, mm-hmm. because they is Igbo and Yoruba, but they are not as as uh, well spoken uh, in terms of from other countries than just in Nigeria. So mm-hmm. Swahili is not only spoken in Kenya, but it's spoken in Tanzania, it's spoken in Congo, a little bit in Rwanda, a mm-hmm. little bit in so in Mozambique. Um, in, so there are many countries that are not that speak Swahili. That mm-hmm. in terms of Swahili is their national language. Right. So with that being said, I think the African Union made Swahili actually now the African one of the main African, which it is the number one African language. But even now, I hear that in South Africa they are learning to speak Swahili because oh, right. is uh, yeah, and and of course here in America there are a lot of expat, exp, expatriates and mm-hmm. students who, when they go to these countries, they have to know some Swahili. So it's really spoken, as you say, internationally. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, because um, a lot, a lot of you know, uh, sayings from like Pan African, you know, uh, cultural mm-hmm. movement here in this country were, uh, were, were, um, I guess translated into Kiswahili, and yeah, um, yeah, 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 like you know, like Harambe and uh, and like Kwanzaa, right, mm-hmm. and all of, all mm-hmm. the Nguza Saba, right? That's all. That's yeah. all Kiswahili. Yes, mm-hmm. and I mean it's such a powerful language and it's mm-hmm. such a rich and a very beautiful language that I would I would wish that a lot of a lot more people will speak it, you know, because mm-hmm. the only sometimes the problem and I gotta put it out there is that now we who speak Swahili or in our in our countries we want to like especially the young people if you go to Kenya. If they are from middle class families, even you know they're gonna try to not speak as much Swahili but English, mm-hmm. and I see that it is so important to teach them Swahili because that's that's one of the foundations of your culture is your language. Right. So it's because what I do here with my son, he knows Swahili. I speak to him in Swahili. He understands everything. He's full, and uh, he doesn't speak as much in Swahili, but he knows he understands everything that I say and. Uh, I'm teaching other children too, so it's important that we also teach our kids. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Because, um, you like you said, there's so much that you can't talk about when you don't have language to to talk yes. about it. So you think exactly. about all the history of people, mm-hmm. you know, in the African diaspora who are not yes. recently from Africa. I'm talking about, you know, our ancestors that are here because of you know the European and Arab, et cetera. You know trade mm-hmm. and people. You know we, you know it's like we've been away for like five hundred years, right? So mm-hmm. you know being able to talk about our experiences at home, that's you know that's really not possible. Um, you know, yeah. I mean we do have like for instance, you know that genetic kind of memory, like we sort of, you know, we can feel, but we might not have the linguistic uh, ability to talk about it. So yeah, so if if a person, you know, is closer and then just, I guess, you know, just sort of just saying things, it's just a different way that those words fill in your mouth, you know, and fill in your body yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. when, when you when you use the mother tongue. 
So, yeah, mm-hmm. really, really awesome. I mean, it just grounds you to your roots. It's so important. You feel you have, like, a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. That's why when you see Africans or people who speak the same language discover that they do, mm-hmm. how they become so animated and so happy because they have found a deeper connection. So it's very mm-hmm. important to have, apart from if those who only know English, to learn such other languages that connect them to their roots. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you could talk for a minute about, um, you know, sort of that, uh, you know, comedic legacy that that you are tapping into. Um, and, yes. and yeah, yeah, because you know, on your signature, you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Baba um, Dick Gregory. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I was wondering if you could tap into some of those those elders, you know, um, who have just, you know take in, you know, something that, mm-hmm. you know, people might not think about as a real high art and, and uh-huh. you know, just sort of like put it on the map, literally. Yeah. I mean, this is it's the, the question you asked me is so, uh, such an important, rich question because I tell you, like, I uh, when I was back home in my country, I always knew that I, even when I was being interviewed one time on newspaper, I think I quoted and I said that I always want my one of my uh, – goals is to make people laugh to inspire to make them happy to make them laugh so but i just i knew i could do it through my 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 satires or my the place we used to do that used to be comedic but also serious plays Mm -hmm. but i never called myself a comedian because back then being a comedian was looked at as being um was a clown you know Mm-hmm. And people didn't say no mind. It was like you were wasting your time. Art wasn't really uh, so significant that it was looked at as a cultural thing, like uh, something to entertain family. So people didn't pay much uh, thought in terms of it being a career. So I didn't even want to be, be a comedian because I was like, what kind of job is this, you know? And you come to America and you start seeing how comedians are being paid well and doing good and make people laugh and uh, down deep in me I knew I, I I I made people laugh so when I did even my spoken word I would put in some comedic lines and people were laughing so my my, my spoken word was also funny but I never went out calling myself a comedian so what ended up happening I think it was in 2015 or 2016 one of my videos went viral on Facebook so it had like almost now Maybe now it's at like three three million. By that time, it was two point two million views, mm-hmm. and people from all over the world were like, "Oh, she's so funny!" Because I was talking about my character, but did a poem about it. But first, I was just giving her some uh, little lines of comedy here and there. And so I was like, "Oh, I didn't know I could." I, I so I said, "You know what, Anna? Don't be afraid. Since everybody thinks you're funny, go out there and and ex- expose that part of you as an as an artist." So that's when I decided to call myself a comedian. That's what I'm saying. Being a comedian is a new hat to me. I just got it like three years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, but but I started going. I went. I, I even have to tell you that I went to the Apollo, did the Apollo uh, Amateur Night or something like that. Yeah. And I did comedy and I did not win. And they, of course, could. they did boo. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that is what, and that's the the funniest thing. But that experience got me to now do my one woman show, uh-huh. and it's been a long time for me to say that. But thank God I went there and got the experience I got. 
if I was, if say for example, I won and I, I would not have done my one woman, I had an idea, I would probably still keep pushing it back. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is that my director was there, who saw the show. Mm-hmm. So after he came back, he told me, say, Anna, look, these are people, you know how they are. They, some of them are just out there to make you frustrated on the stage because Apollo audience are tough. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And they booed a lot of, they booed Jamie Foxx. They booed, uh, what's the other guy, the one who, uh, uh, I forget his name. So many people, I forget his name. Uh, 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 it'll come to me. But uh, he's doing very well uh, in comedy. I don't know. I don't forget his name. Um, anyway, it's up to me. So they put a lot of comedians who end up becoming very successful. So I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was, I was down for like a week or something or less. But after that, I was like, I gotta do my one woman show because I think there are some things that this, some of these people are not understanding. I, I think there's edu- I need to educate people in a funny way, but give them some some food for thought and some reality and some truth. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's what my show is about. It's about truth, it's about reality, it's about funny, and uh, everything just put together. It's really a very rich show. So I really thank God for that experience because I think sometimes God pushes you to do something so that you can do what you are meant to do. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, then I, I met, as a matter of fact, Ayanna uh, Gregory, uh, Dick Gregory's uh, daughter came to watch my show, oh. and uh, yeah, in fact, if you see one of my YouTube clips, she talks about the show at the end. And so, I the first show, uh, man, the whole of DC Afrocentric community was there, and it mm. was a full house, so they really supported me. And so, with that being said, I know that one one of the comedians that inspired me is definitely uh baba dick gregory may so rest in peace because in his comedy he was funny but he spoke the truth and yeah. also of, of course if you listen to richard Pryor, that he had a lot of yeah. truth too it was funny mm-hmm. but and, and that's my comedy is funny but it's, it's truth mm-hmm. right yeah right. yeah mm-hmm. yeah um any any women um uh comedians um that you resonate Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is a is it Mama Mama Mabel? What's her yeah, Mabel, Mom's Mabel. Yeah, Mom. Yeah, yeah. I watch her skits or oh, her videos. They're funny. Yes, and uh, I like that. I I really like that because number one, for me, it spoke about her age. She wasn't young, right? No, uh, uh-uh. uh. She was an elder. Yeah, yeah. She was an elder, but. Being an elder, you know, sometimes you think that in your career that is, you're out of time. You're never out of time, you know. And mm-hmm. so for me, uh, listening to her, watching her, I was like, you know, Anna, you can do this. That was one thing. And also for her, she did speak a lot of truth. So though that's one of the mamas that in terms of comedy. And, of course, my girl, uh, uh, I know she's some people might call her controversial, but I first met her, when I met her, I was so, I was Monique. Oh yeah, like Monique. Yeah. yeah, Monique. I think Monique. Monique. Mm, yes, Monique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you see, I met her. If you on my website, I have a picture with her. Mm-hmm. I really like Monique because also she, uh, at that time she's when I I knew about her because I had been watching her. I was like, wow, she's speaking the truth. You know, she's you know she's making it funny and everything, but she's also saying some truth in many things. So mm-hmm. I like that aspect of doing comedy, but not because you know there's all kinds of comedy. And uh, comedy, when I look at comedy, I look at it this way: 
there is comedy for different audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some audiences you can go to perform to and they might not feel what you're doing or what you're saying. But then there are some audiences you uh, perform to and they really uh, understand what you're saying and feel it. So sometimes as a comedian, when you go to a different crowd, you have to change the things you say to fit that crowd. And sometimes you can decide, that's not my crowd. I'm not going to go there. So with that being said, I realized the comedy is that way. It has, every comedian has their own audience. I don't know if you understand me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's another thing that I learned. But by looking at other comedians, I realized, yes, people have different uh, audiences and all that. And I, I enjoy just even Trevor Noah. He has his own audience. Right. And uh-huh. people does I hope I can meet him one day. <laughs> but those those are those are some of the inspirations that I get just by listening and watching them and just being like, Wow, this this everyone knows how to use their craft to work for them. Right, right. Yeah. And I was wondering, so so who is your audience? So my audience, that's a good question. So my audience is um in terms of uh let me see. In terms of, if I may say, okay, number one, my, in terms of age, I think my audience was funny because I went to perform at another, at a, some uh, anniversary, a wedding anniversary, and this little girl who was 10 years old came to me and said, wow, I really enjoyed your comedy. You made me laugh. And I was like, wow, I didn't know, like, little kids enjoy my comedy too. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> In terms of my comedy, I say my comedy starts from 10 to 80 or 10 to infinity in terms of of age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to culture or, or if I may say, like, um, how can I say? It's not, it's not demographics, but, like, in terms of what kind of people like my comedy, mm-hmm. I'll say immigrants, I'll say uh, African-Americans, uh, I'll say um, Americans in general, but those who have had are more exposure to Af- to other cultures. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. That it's it's everybody who has had exposure to other cultures. They will enjoy my comedy more. Even those who don't have, it's time for them to be. I will be like that bridge to other cultures. So mm-hmm. my my audience, I would say, is immigrants. It's Americans, black or white, who have had exposure to different cultures. Is uh, also um. Uh, it's also people who really do, don't have exposure but are open to learn other cultures. So that's that's what I can say. I don't know if I answered it or I was so general. I'm not so sure. Right. Yeah. And you know, you um, mm-hmm. you're um a uh, an ambassador, right? Um, for for mm-hmm. peace. Um, and mm-hmm. are you still doing that? Um, for the uh, interreligious and international foundation for peace federation for peace. Are you still doing that work too? Mm-hmm. I used to, but I slowed down with that only because of the my nonprofit. But uh, anytime they do require my services, I definitely be there to offer them in whatever capacity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I think it's uh, one thing: justice and peace go hand in hand. If there's no justice, there's no peace, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have justice for everybody. The 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 everybody, especially black, brown, and uh, Poor people or people who have been marginalized for one for one reason or another, if they don't have justice, then there's no peace in the world. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I was just I was just thinking, you know, that um, you know, you're known as um, um, <clears throat> Mama um, Mama Africa, and I was just thinking about uh, you know Mama 
Miriam Makeba, you know, Mama Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She is the Mama Africa. I, uh, some of us, like me, I'm just trying to get to her level, but she, she, she was the first up of African uh, musician or singer or performing artist to come to the U.S. And when she, when she, when she did, she really opened the doors to many other African kind. Uh, musicians and artists to come here and then she really was a very good ambassador in terms of cultural exchange mm-hmm. how she greeted the up how she worked with the other american musicians i she's one of my role models i try to get to her level i'm really trying but i just thank god for her being on this earth when she was and how she impacted a lot of lives in a positive way mm-hmm. right yeah there's a um a woman here um who is a phenomenal artist, um, you know, activist, you know, change agent. Her name is Rodessa Jones, and she created mm-hmm. um, with uh, Idris, um, um, <clears throat> trying to think, Idris, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on Idris' name. Oh, my goodness, it's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. But they have they have an organization called um, Cultural Odyssey, but Rodessa um, created mm-hmm. um, the uh, Medea Project, or Theater for Incarcerated Women, and and she mm. talks about how you know when when Mama um, Makeda passed, um, Mary Makeda uh, passed, how everyone wore mm-hmm. their African crown. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. I think about you know one of your poems that I listened to was um, mm-hmm. I think it was was I have a dream, but anyway it was look talking about African women, and it was just mm-hmm. such an ode to black women everywhere. You know, it's just yes. so beautiful. And yeah. and then and then there's like. Um, a video of you, you mm-hmm. know, sort of dancing and walking and talking about African mm-hmm. women. It's just really mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, well, she just does everything. Like, she dances, she sings, she writes this fabulous poetry. And then, you know, then you tell her these stories that make us just sort of like think about ourselves mm-hmm. and then laugh about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. yeah, and you know how Tuku would always say how, you know, in African culture, you might have a sad story, like one of the stories was talking about HIV and AIDS that he was singing about, mm-hmm. but you would never know that was sad unless you could understand the language because the music was so upbeat, you could dance yes. to it. It was so yes. such a, a beautiful melody, but the story, because he said, yes. you know, the object of an African artist is not to make people cry. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know you're like, you're so sad from the song, right? It just mm-hmm. makes you just want to sit down and weep. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he couches that that sad story, you know, important story mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. A, a sort of makes it so that you can you can you can handle it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so true because uh, the melodies. I mean, how we play the guitar is so beautiful. The tunes that come from the the melodies and the, the rhythms and the sound of it, uh, the style we play, if it's lingala, if it's sukus, if it's rumba, mm-hmm. that music is very soulful, it speaks to your soul, it's so right. yeah, 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 and, and when it comes to like Miriam Makiba, I think uh, the the, the uh, music video you were watching was the one for Women of the World, okay. and that's when mm-hmm. I give homage or I respect to all the wonderful women all over the world who are holding the sky for for everybody else, so we, I just, I just take this opportunity really to just thank God for all the women, all our black women, all our, our mothers, our aunties, you know, grandmothers who really mm-hmm. paved the way by struggling and going through deep, deep issues for me to be here. Mm-hmm. 
Are you are you bringing your 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 family with you when you come to visit us? No, I just come by myself. <laughs> my, <laughs> my my husband works and my um, my son goes to school, so I just it's just be me and my suitcase. <laughs> 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 and I'm staying in my one woman show. So, but I hope I'll see you at the show. Oh yeah, my intention is to come. So I was just wondering, okay. um, in closing, if you could share a poem with us. Sure, wow. Let them know what poem I should share. Okay. Oh, wow. I got a lot. Uh, before I do that, can I let the audience know about my YouTube page and my oh, website? Oh, yeah, yeah, and your website and all that. Yeah, please. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, my YouTube page to see many of my videos is www.youtube.com slash Mama Africa Anna. Mama Africa Anna. Anna is with A-N-N-A. So two A's and two N's. And then my website is www.annaannamualago, which is M for Mary, W, A, L for Lion, A, G for Girl, H, O, Anamualago, G, H, O, so www.annamualago.com. And you can also see my, my videos, my pictures, and I just want, I just hope that uh, people will come to the show. I don't know if it's open to the public. I don't yes. know if it's just. Yeah, it is. It's actually mm-hmm. free and it's open to the public. Okay. And the venue of the James Moore Theater at the Open Museum, it's, it has mm-hmm. a finite number of seats. Like it's not a stadium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so folks need mm-hmm. the RSVP like quickly. Like, oh my gosh, I hope by the time people hear this, there will still be mm-hmm. seats available. Because um, people are people are sending out. I've gotten information about your show through multiple what? emails. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, people are like getting parties, like black women getting parties. Like we gotta go see Mama Africa, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah. I'm nervous. Yeah. So I'm. I'm well, I don't know. I'm gonna end. I'm gonna do this poem called. Uh, this is the poem that went viral on Facebook. It's called bringing the. It has two titles. Sometimes when I'm doing it with my band, singing the song with my band is bringing the flavor, but it's oh, don't make me change. But mm-hmm. uh, this is a very passionate poem that I wrote because of my experiences as an immigrant. Okay. As I speak, rhymes flow into my mind, and as I blaze the sage, I hope you will relate and comprehend my linguistic phrases as I speak. Your dialectic faces and use my accentual tongue to bless thee with words of uh, wisdom. I am a victim of discrimination. No, not because I'm black and sure enough I ain't white, but because I am an immigrant, an alien, a foreigner. See, I speak the same words, comprehend the same phrases, but just because my tongue rolls in a different way, that don't mean I'm dumb. And see, yes, comprehend the English because I probably speak and know more English than you. See, I'm tired of being labeled. People talking to me so hey, like I'm dumb, having some disability of some sort, shoot. Disability ain't nobody's choosing, but sister, brother, I am fine, 100% sane. Matter of fact, much better than you in many ways than one. I mean, if you cannot say my name right, Mualago, then you have no right to tell me to say water if I know it as water. I mean, what is the purpose of this conversation and what is the purpose of this discussion? To drink water or to say water? 
So honey child, please, if you have not walked in my shoes, you have no say in my world. And don't you dare command me to walk in your shoes because I love the smell of my feet, the feel of my shoes and the history of my life. I mean, have you ever seen a monkey before? I mean, in real life, do you know what it does? How it jumps? Have you had the pleasure of walking bare feet, feeling the sun tickling your toes? Have you been camped up in a bus, eh? loaded with people, each talking their own languages, but their faces looking so similar? Have you had the pleasure of dancing to the rhythm of the drums and the music of the emulation? Making you feel so exhilarated? You know, you cannot understand just like I do not understand the Halloween madness, the calling before coming to visit, the biggest sale of the year, the exchange of gifts at Christmas, and the time clock moving forward and backwards. My ways are not your ways, and your ways cannot be mine. So please do not try to change me, because I have no pleasure in asking you to change, for I love you anyway. Whether Hispanic, African, American, Indian, Asian, we are all God's children. So why can't we relate, love our difference, exterminate our ignorance that is killing us and bring flavor into this beautiful world? Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Wanda, I want to say thank you so, so much for giving me this opportunity to speak to you. And uh, I hope to see you. And I just, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so excited now about the show. Now that you've told me all. <laughs> and even us just talking and everything, I just, I just thank God for this uh, talent. And above all, I just thank uh, Dr. Roy Wilson, Barbara, Barbara, Elihu Harris, Barbara Lee, right? Yes. And, mm-hmm. And everybody for just uh, being there for me and accommodating me mm-hmm. and being me to come and perform my show. Right. You know, um, Anna Mualago, um, did I say it right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're going to love it because um, Donald Lacey, he's an activist and he's also a comedian. He, he, uh, <laughs> he writes about his he's called Colorstruck and he's a, a lighter complexion African American and he writes uh-huh. about how in his family like he's the only one that came out looking like he does and he writes mm-hmm. about how you know he had to sort of like earn his black stripes so to speak like mm-hmm. you, you can't be African because you know you don't look it and and mm-hmm. it's just it's so his so it's so funny and um, mm-hmm. and he also has. He has a, uh, the Love Life Foundation, which he um, he he created um, uh, because of his daughter Loisha Lacey being mm. killed um, uh, outside of her when she was sitting in a van uh, at her high school it was a random mm-hmm. act of violence many years oh. ago. So he is just mm-hmm. so such a beautiful person, writer. He also founded uh, with some others um, a theater called Campo Santo. And they do really mm. cutting edge um, theater productions, uh, you know, telling mm-hmm. stories that don't get told. So he's gonna open mm-hmm. for you um, this Thursday, mm-hmm. October twenty fourth at seven p.m. at the James Moore mm-hmm. Theater at the Oakland Museum of California. So people, mm-hmm. it's free, 
And mm-hmm. if they want to come, they need to call the Freedom Center at 510-434-3888-3988. Again, 510-434-3988 um, to get tickets <laughs> so they won't say, oh, man, I can't get in, you know, because it's going to be yeah. like yeah. real history making with you coming from, you know, from to, from Kenya by way of Washington, D.C., and then, you yes. know, one of our, you know, brothers that are like right here at home, you know, sort of yes. being there with you, you know, to introduce mm-hmm. you, it's going to be like really phenomenal. It's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy oh, you're coming. Man. Thank you. I'm so happy, and I hope I'll even do more shows there in Auckland. So yeah, that'll be super. Yeah. 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 yeah, so we'll see. But I'm so excited. I'm very excited to come there and perform my shows. Right. Cool. Well, safe travels, um, you know, when you when you come this way. And, yeah, I definitely look forward mm-hmm. to meeting you and getting a picture. <laughs> yes, yes, most definitely. Thank you, Wanda, so much. And, th- and you know, I, I've got to tell you, you did your best today. woke up as early as 7 o'clock, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I actually got up a little earlier to prepare, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah earlier than, I know you woke up earlier than that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, you take us and have a good rest of the day with your family. You too. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye.